day for football. Yeah, there's history being made in the, the NFL this morning. The Arizona Cardinals have become the first team to hire a female coach in ABC's She's the Arizona Cardinals at training camp as an assistant inside linebacker coach back in 2015. She's here with me now. Jen, welcome. Situations in terms of coaching where it was like, oh, okay, we'll stay in your lane. I'm like, well, what is my lane? Oh, no girl should be out here, just linebackers. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I shouldn't help that guy right there who just had a breakdown. She inspired me. Girls could do what guys could do too. Major League Baseball spring training this year opened with more bang than ever before. For the first time in history, a woman took the mound to throw batting practice for the Cleveland Indians and will throw again right, tonight. About for the girl Indians. power, Justine Siegel was the first woman to coach pro baseball. She threw and he said no man would listen to a woman on a baseball field. So why is it that the beast so damn tough? You know, it's an honor to make history, but it's so much more important to build a better future. I just started thinking, like, who's he to decide what I can do and, and what men will do? So damn tough. Welcome to the Toughness Podcast. My name is Patty Steinfurt, your host. And today we have two trailblazing women on the show. We have Jen Welter, who was the NFL's first ever coach employed as a female. Sorry, that just came out the wrong way. The first ever female employed as a coach. And we have Justine Siegel, who was the first ever female employed as a coach in Major League Baseball. Welcome, Jen and Justine. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. We're going to give you each a chance to tell a little bit of your backstory, because for those who may not have followed it, it seems to become more and more common these days. But back when both of you broke through uh, around 2015-ish, I think was the year for both of you to make it to the big, so to speak, there wasn't much of this going on. Let's start with you, Jen. In, in the NFL, I know that uh, your former head coach just won the Super Bowl and did it with multiple females on the staff. So he was obviously a little bit of a trailblazer in that sense as well. But what was it like for you to watch that happen and to see some women who you might have blazed a trail for be on that staff? Well, you know, it's it's great to see um, Bruce Arians continue to, cha uh, to champion equality, um, both in terms of race and gender. Um, it is really in his DNA. I remember him telling me one time, when he got his show, he was going to do it his way. And um, thankfully, that means, you know, his personal philosophy, which is no risk it, no biscuit. Um, and thank, and we saw that pay off in the Super Bowl, right? He had the most diverse um, team to win a Super Bowl to be fielded. And um, I, I look at that and, you know, it makes me smile because, you know, not only is it in theory, but a lot of those coaches I coached with. Um, and the experience for me was you know, it, it was larger than life because there, there was no woman I could look to and say, I, I want to be her throughout my football career, right? We were, we were playing for a dollar a game and a belief that um, if we could win in the final frontier for women in sports, that we could not only change, you know, the sport, but society in general. So to have um, worked through to the place that, you know, um, I used to watch from afar was, was really, um, kind of mind blowing. Um, I can imagine the, the, you mentioned there, the, the impact, not only on sport, but on society. I know that Meghan Markle has gone on record as saying that when women are uplifted, the entire community is uplifted. And that's really an underlying theme of this show, because both of your journeys, whilst they've impacted the sport and other women in that sport, they also, because of the stage of pro sport, they, they kind of trickle out into the community. And I know that uh, 
You also mentioned there that you didn't have anyone to look to as you came through. I, I just saw Jennifer King, who's an assistant running back coach at the Washington football team right now, reposted a uh, photo side by side of Amanda Gorman, the poet laureate from the uh, from the presidential inauguration, next to a, a young, maybe a three year old girl who's dressed like her, um, looking up to her, knowing that that is something that she can do, and it's and it's a fascinating a great thing to have happening now, but for you, there wasn't that. So how did you ever conceive of, I might want to go into football and make it a full-time job and like, tell me where this, tell us where this started for you. Um, you know, a love of the game. Um, I didn't actually know that I could make it a full-time job. Um, but what I did know is that playing, I had some of the best practical experience you could ever have. And so I believed if I could take that and marry it with, you know, with my master's in sports psychology and my PhD in psychology, that I could be a unique value proposition to the sport, right? That I could have a special vantage point that would add value. And so that was my plan. I was actually coaching coaches on coach-athlete relationship and feedback and all of the things that you need in coaching without seeing that, you know, I might actually be suited for a coach. And it was Wendell Davis, former Dallas Cowboy, who um, took over as head coach on the men's team that I played for. And he saw how the guys related to me. And the next day called me after grilling me on football and said, you have to coach my football team. And I instinctively said, no, I'm like, no, 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 I, I, I can't do that. Women, women don't coach football. And he said, not a lot of guys are going to give you this opportunity. You're taking this job. And though I turned it down, he actually took it on my behalf and told me about it later and told me I couldn't quit. And, you know, that's something interesting about women. A lot of the times we won't project ourselves up into situations, right? That our male counterparts would because we over check the boxes. And it did take him seeing something in me before I even saw it in myself. So it's really nice to know that now, you know, girls can look at football and see themselves there or can look at coaching and, see that it's a possibility for them because I needed someone else to see it in me to make that happen. And I hope that they move with more confidence, more confidence than I initially have. Had. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's a, it's a, a similar path there in terms of both of the guests here have a PhD in psychology. So it's fast, going to be a fascinating chat to get under the hood of the minds of performers as well as this trailblazer theme. But Justine, you're also, a, uh, a PhD sports psych. I think that's correct, right? Yes. Yeah. And so did, was the journey for you a similar one where it was like, well, there's no women coaching in baseball. So maybe I'll just be a psychologist around baseball. I know some of my colleagues in major league baseball, are some of the best at my job, arguably better than me, are the girls. And so was that the angle that you were looking to take or was it a little bit of a different path for you? No, um, I knew I wanted to be a baseball coach. Uh, it was I was 13 when I was first told I should quit baseball because I was a girl, you know, and I just kind of like decided I'll play forever. And uh, at 16, 15, 16, I decided I wanted to be a college baseball coach. And the first person I told was my coach and he just laughed at me. And he said, no man would listen to a woman on a baseball field. Mm. And I was really embarrassed because I was actually a very shy kid. You know, so it was a big deal to share the stream and then to be immediately laughed at. But I just started thinking, like, who's he to decide what I can do and, and what men will do? So 
uh, that was the moment where I started training to become a coach. And I started working camps and learning everything I could. And um, I knew I wanted to get a PhD so I could out educate, you know, the other coaches, you know, I would have something in my toolbox that the other men didn't have. And I went on and became a college coach. And of course, men don't care. It's a little bit of a shock at first to have a woman, but then, you know, as long as you can make them a better player and you care about them, they don't care. They get over it very quickly. And um, so once I coached college uh, as an assistant coach for three years, I ended up a uh, professional in 2009. And then uh, in 2015, uh, broke the MLB barrier uh, with A's during instructional league. Yeah. So a long and winding path, particularly from the age of 13, that's an early time to put a target on something. I think <laughs> when I was 13, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I realized what lawyers actually do. I was like, fuck, no. Uh, you mean but, it wasn't that courtroom drama that no, you just got to like argue with people? That's exactly what I thought it was. We could just like yell things across the courtroom and like- Right, I mean, that seems cool. Seems great. And then my, my cousin had a, like he was actually at a law firm and I went and did some work experience for two weeks. And they gave me a stack of papers, which was like, hey, read this contract and spell check it. That's how old I am. It was before spell checkers on computers. And it was just like, oh, that ain't me at all. But anyway, we digress. 13 years old, you decided you wanted to be a coach. Um, but you mentioned something in there that I suspect both of you heard more than once, which is uh, men won't listen to you or you can't do this, right? I saw Jen, as Justine shared that, you nodded and had a little grin on your face. Like, yeah, that's kind of familiar, right? There's going to be a number of experiences you both shared in terms of slaps in the face, getting doors closed in your face, pushed away, ignored, like, yeah, whatever. Tell us what toughness means in your experience in, in terms of that pathway to being one of the first or to pushing against people who would say no otherwise. What does toughness look like in that scenario? Um, you know, for me, the, the thing I want to say is, you know, I heard Justine say I knew that at 13 and I think I wish I'd have had the opportunity to play at 13 football was one of the first places in the world that you know I learned boys and girls were allowed to do different things and we weren't we weren't able to play then right I didn't get to play football until I was 22 years old and when I did I just said I will step up to every challenge the game puts in my way and that's been kind of my career philosophy because when you're when you're first it's it's not like the logical goal setting mechanism of like i want to be here and i'm going to work backwards you know everything we were doing as women in football was groundbreaking right even playing um was groundbreaking and then as i was playing they had the first us national team and i was like i'm doing that right and then it was the guys who said, you know, you know, we want you to play. And so it was continually for me just going, all right, okay, this, this is what we got to do and figuring out how to do it. And I don't know if it's as much toughness as, as a lot of people would define it as much as it was believing that this was where I belonged in the world and saying, okay, how can I be great at each level? And, and what do I need to bring with me, right? Like I have people all the time ask me, how did you never quit? And I kind of think, well, on some days I might've quit like four or five times, but I also quit at quitting because I didn't really know what else to do, right? Because it's not just a job, right? This isn't a job that I'm showing up for. Um, this is who I am. And 
finding and creating and being in this space um, is, is a part of my identity. So I, I don't know if it fits in the same toughness as much as saying like, this is my, this is what I was put here to do and believing that I'm the one who's here to do it. And yeah, that means it is tough at times, um, especially getting tackled by guys that, that was a, that was a tough one. Um, but it's not just a, you know, show up and, and do it or don't do it. It's a, this is the place and the space that I'm supposed to be involved in and it's constant reinvention and it doesn't, doesn't look the same every day, right? Like yeah. I may not be in the NFL now. Does that mean you quit or you're not there? No, it's still a part of the journey, but the journey is like, is an evolution of yeah. being in sports and being a woman in football, right? Yeah, It's like a, a choose your own adventure almost where like there is no storyline. You kind of choose every time it says, go to this page or that page. And you have to be the first one to make that choice. It's a fascinating nuance that I love. The Again, I love the fact that I've got two uh, sports psychs on here because it's a nuance of like not the traditional toughness where it's like grit your teeth and be strong or emotional endurance, but this is more like what I would refer to. And, and this came to me from a baseball player who was very uh, religious. He talked about the idea of being values driven and, and pushing with a deep purpose as spiritual stability. It's mm. like life will knock me around. This will happen. That will happen. I will quit. I'll get up the next morning. I'll just go again because I don't have a choice. This is who I am. And that was a really cool description from you uh, on that concept. I'm, I'm going to probably clip that and use it with some of my students. Definitely. Um, uh, Justine, how about you? What was what would you define as toughness along your journey, either that you've experienced or you may have now seen others trying to carve the same journey as we said at the start of the show there are many more women in the game now what, what do you perceive as, as toughness for people who are trying to get through into areas they're not normally accepting no well I started as a kid and I didn't have anyone to talk to about it I didn't have anyone to look like me um you know through my journey I've been spit on thrown at told it's against God's way um just flat out said no like you know I had to be the first person everywhere I went I always had to be the first uh, and that wasn't my goal. That was simply just my reality. Um, so to me, being tough is about learning how to fail, learning how to be disappointed, have a dagger in your back, and yet the next day get up and still listen to another podcast so that you can be a better coach. You know, to like just keep working hard when everyone is telling you no. Mm. And you can't even see the light. You can only see this concept of a goal. And can you get there? And it's like, well, maybe I'll get there, <laughs> but I believe it. I believe it, but I can't guarantee it. Yeah. And yet every day you're working towards something you can't guarantee. And uh, just knowing people, you know, so many people being against you. I mean, I've been called so many things, whether it's online, whether it's in person, uh, sexual attacks type of, you know, verbiage online, stuff like that. But you just keep going. And I uh, don't feel like it's, I don't feel like it's my purpose to do it. I just simply never gave up. Yeah, you both mentioned there different types of pain involved in the journey. So, Justine, you mentioned being stabbed in the back or having a knife in your back, being attacked verbally, and, and, and I can only imagine that. But also, Jen, I can imagine being tackled by grown men who are professional footballers that are twice my size. Uh, that has happened to me, and it's physically painful. And so both of you have experienced a mixture of both physical pain. Justine, you mentioned being hit by pitches. Jen, you also would have had your share of emotional pain along the way. And yet, 
with pain and when it hurt, you still kept going. And so I'm curious to explore that element a little bit, particularly in light of what you said there, Justine, around there's no guarantee. Like I could do all this and it ends up with zero. I've put, gone through all this pain. I'm going to get hit again. I'm going to get called names again. And yet here I go with no guarantee. Either of you can grab that and run with it, but I'm really curious to, to hear and, and share potentially with the listeners some of your strategies for it hurts, but I'm still going to keep going. For me, I would say that it was always a bigger picture. So if my head was going to keep hitting against the wall trying to break through, it was to make the crack for the people behind me to get in. So as much as I was following my passion, what I wanted to do, I knew that I could build something bigger than myself. And so that motivation kept me going when days I didn't want to get out of bed. Uh, so a connection to a bigger purpose. Jen, how about you? Well, I mean, my, my book is called Play Big, which means playing for something bigger than yourself. So yes, absolutely. Um, but, you know, if you're playing for something bigger, then it means that it's not just the outcome, it's the destination, right? Like there's no way that I could do everything that I do every day and, and quote unquote, not get something in the end because there's not an end game. I've done more than anybody ever thought possible. And so everything I do is more than I ever imagined, right? And, and to me, that's the challenge. And that's also what makes it so exciting, right? How do we look at this place and this space that we are in the world? Like I'm a kid who loved puzzles, right? I like to connect the dots. I want to figure it out. Okay. So there's a barrier for resistance here. Why? Okay. Well, we haven't been socialized yet enough. So that means we don't just need them to have me. We need to have a bigger purpose, you know, conversation. Does that mean that we can shift the narrative in esports? Um, in a way that they could see maybe through Madden, something that doesn't yet exist in, in the real world, right? Like, could we, could we create that, what you need to see in a space that is theoretical, but also already has um, that psychological power. So to mm -hmm. me, every day has different challenges that don't, aren't just worth the sum total of some end game. They're worth everything that we do every day. That's what invigorates me, right? Every day is a new challenge. And yes, there are painful parts. I mean, you know, and, and that pain, honestly, my, my go-to is humor. It is like, I look at things and I laugh about them. I'm like, Oh dude, you do realize you said that out loud, right? Like, okay. Like that was the best that you had, like make you a sandwich. Okay. Like I'm hungry too. Do you want to get me one? Or like we both doing this, right? Like I just kind of put those things back because I expect them at this point. And it's, it's not actually enough to, to really get to me. It just shows um, how insecure other people are in having those things and the ability to look at some of those comments and use them strategically as, as kind of my tipping points or my armor or my, um, my interview fodder is something that's made me very successful. I mean, I remember, my favorite comment I got when I was going to play against the guys was she's going to get hit and die and or get pregnant. And I remember bringing that into the interviews and I'm like, Hey, I know you guys want you, you want the gossip, right? Like you want the worst thing I've heard and I got it right. We don't even have to go through this. This one dude said this, and you know, I was one of the best linebackers in the world, but I didn't know it was possible to hit someone so hard. You could cause immaculate conception and death. 
at the same time. Pretty epic, right? And, you know, all of the sudden the interviewers would laugh and we'd actually get to talk about something real as opposed to them trying to find that pain point in me because I already put it up front. Right. Yeah. I already know what you're going to ask. I'm going to diffuse the situation and I'm disarm you. So I have the opportunity to charm you. Yeah. You're, you're owning that pain for want of a better word and turning what might, what others might see as a weakness into a weapon. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's a really cool flip that I'm sure not only physically we, we can use in sport, but obviously mental, mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about weapons. Then, then let's, let's go down that rabbit hole. And I'm curious to explore the strengths that you each drew on in those times of toughness. There's one immediately that Jen, you've already shared of the the mental judo to flip someone and be like, Oh, you want to come at me with that? Well here, boom, there you go. Didn't see that coming. (laughs) Justine, what would you say are some of the character strengths that stood you in good stead to deal with the, the vague path really that you both described where it's like, there was no one to follow before. I couldn't make this up. And so I have to either solve puzzles, which Jen has mentioned, or I have to just be bullheaded or I have to be super nice and like kind of weasel my way in. Like what, what was it for you that you look at and you see like that was a strength in application? I would say my strength is that uh, my resilience, I never gave up. So I asked the A's for four years, if I could come coach for them four years, you know, and every time I spoke to them, Hey, I just got my PhD. Hey, I went to scout school. Hey, I just did this, you know, just making myself more qualified over and over until I got there. Um, but there was also sort of a, in, maybe an inner strength. Um, you know, when I first coached in 2009, I had a coach who told me how much he didn't want me on his field, how useless I was, so on and so on and so on. And um, I actually walked away and, you know, cause you can't cry in front of anyone. But I hadn't had someone talk to me like that in such a short period with other people watching. And I went out into my car and I drove down the street and I, and I broke down for like two minutes And then I decided that, you know, um, you can't control how other people act. You can only control how you're going to respond. And so for me, I decided that when others were mean, I would be kind back. And so when, for example, the team kicked me out of the locker room, my daughter and I were making team brownies. And my daughter was like, why are we making them brownies? And they're like, because we're going to do a physical act of kindness. And it wasn't so that I could get them to like me. It was so that I can keep my own peace within. Because when you create anger inside you, it just creates chaos and chaos and anger can easily take you off your path. So I was very certain that I wanted to keep my peace and I was not going to give up no matter what happened to me. And I was just going to keep going. Um, so th- that's how I really dealt with it. And interestingly enough, that gentleman who told me how much he didn't want me on his team actually recommended me for a job two years later. Hmm. Very cool. Full circle moment. And I, I love the, you said uh, anger, creates chaos inside and it's a it's a true st- for anyone who's actually been in a performance event and they're doing it out of anger it makes a it's a little more noisy right it's de- it can definitely help in the short term it can propel me but that that shit normally doesn't last and uh, i love how you flipped it to to i mean almost really acting how we would want the players to act right Let's say a player gets hit by a pitch. Do you want him to go out there next time super pissed and you want him to be angry for the next week on the team bus? Or do you want him to be able to wear the pitch and get on with his job? And it strikes me that both of you are experts in acting how we would want others to act. Just an, <laughs> just an observation there. One of, the, one of the concepts that as I've spoken with more people who are trailblazers or do stupid, super cool shit 
in different arenas. And that includes uh, Navy SEALs, actors, comedians, heart surgeons, all this sort of stuff, is that there's, a, there's often a moment or a part of their world where it's, it's what the uh, academics might call an immersion event where it's like once you're in, it's, it's actually worse when you, if you go back before you complete the mission, right? Think of a Navy SEAL doing a drop zone, surgery starting, I'm on stage and the lights come on. Like, I can't be like, oh, no, no time out. I, I, want, I want more time. No, 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 you're in it now. And Jen, you kind of mentioned it a little bit with your introduction to coaching where the coach signed for you and it's like, hey, you can't back out now because what, what, what would that look like? Do each of you, uh, Justine, do you have a, an example of that where it was almost too late to turn back? Or has this just been such a slow burn for you that there wasn't one event you can point to and say like, this is when it was too late to go. Like maybe your first BP on a big, big league ballpark. Was that the moment for you? It was like, well, this is a big day. You know, I, I haven't had that moment, but I can certainly understand where in the military that would be. I felt like I just, my whole thing is building up, you know, like this whole life, this whole work, everything was a moment and I can't turn back. You know, it's just my whole soul's into it. So, and, so you're telling me the first time you threw BP <laughs> at a big league spring training, there was no, that was no different than any other BP. I prepared for it. You know, I did everything I could. I prepared mentally, I prepared physically, and I was ready for the challenge. So yeah. Do I feel like I'm going to throw up? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but you know, you have a reset word, you take some breaths and breathing and you take confidence in the preparation that you already had. Very cool. Very cool. Already had the process lined up. Jen, what about you? I know you mentioned the, the coach threw you in the water and said you couldn't turn back. You had to learn to swim. But beyond that, have there been moments like, for example, when you go from it's one thing to have that job at your first football team that you were playing on. So the people already kind of know you and you've got relationships, but then you get dragged to an NFL team and Bruce takes a chance on you and throws you into an NFL locker room. Like, is that a different beast? For sure, it's a different beast. Um, you know, for me, I think really being thrown in though um, and feeling that way was actually, <laughs> I remember going on the day that I was going to um, play and make history with the Texas Revolution, right? Um, and, and there's this huge narrative about it, right? And I'm feeling like, okay, right? This is a locker room. I've been to the locker room a million times, right? Like, I mean, I've played for 14 years. Like I got this and I obviously would change in the same locker room with the guys, but I didn't really know what the situation was. And I opened the door and there's this like fog wafting over the air. It was the dance room and they were glittering each other. So the whole world wants to know what's going to happen when I get tackled by men and they're literally glittering each other. And I kind of remember being like, I wasn't prepared for this. I'm prepared for football, but this is different. When, when the glitter settled, I looked around and it looked like Sephora had exploded. There were like curling irons and, you know, makeup kits. And there were posters of the dancers on the wall. And I just kind of went and I put my stuff down and I walked back out into the hallway so I could get some football. Right. And I texted my coach and I was like, coach, can you please keep me, uh, and I believe I said abreast because it was funny to me, abreast of the schedule, 
as you have me stuck in glitter Siberia. And he comes out and he goes, glitter Siberia, huh? And I say, yeah, coach. And I want you to know when you get glittered, you already know that stuff gets on everything. <laughs> and if Everyone. they got me, I was totally going to get you with a big bear hug and rub all the glitter off on you. And he laughed so hard. And it was like, we both had this moment of like, this is something that we never really would have mentally pictured. And it's way too late now. Like Dorothy, you are not in Kansas anymore. And I was, and it was funny that I felt more at home with the guys, right? Than I did with the women at that point. And it really let me know how, what the dichotomy was, right? Even one of the women, like at this moment when they're glittering each other goes like to another one, she literally looks and she's like, listen, if you are gonna survive the game today, you must hairspray the crotch of your pantyhose. Specific instructions? Right, and it was survival, which is what struck me so loudly, right? Like they're talking about surviving the game. And it was apparently, you know, using the hairspray on your pantyhose prevents ripping. I don't know. This there is not go. this is not my area There's of expertise. A tip. a tip for the listeners, just so just yes. anyone who's going to wear pantyhose, pantyhose. It must be. But like, it was so serious, and it was survival, right? And I just remember thinking in my head, like, I wonder if she has some extra hairspray, right? Like, if I just. You know, if I was going to survive the game, if I could just, you know, put it all over me, if it might might help me survive the game. And it was just such a, a, a weird reading of worlds, right, that it let me know, like, the football was where I was home, right? But this was a whole new world because, you know, I wasn't quite at home with them. And then I was more like the guys. And I was like... Well, it's all happening now because the world is watching to see what's going to happen and if I'm going to be able to get back up. So you have to get there and get there really fast. Yeah. Fascinating uh, example of the worlds between worlds almost where once you leave one place and you're trying to get to another, you'll run into some funny characters and funny spots along the way. Right. And, and just things that you never would have thought of or right. expected. Like that exactly. would never, I mean, you know, we had dancers we always had and I appreciate them. They put on a great show, you know, they would do what they do. Um, but because I wasn't really like, there was no quite place for me anywhere, like having that crash course in, in how they got ready for a game versus mine was just like, well, that's a really different pregame routine. Yeah. The image I have in my mind is is when they make a uh, a Pixar movie about either of you two or both of you two, and then and the the person leaves the world and they're in this weird place. But in those weird places, they actually also have the people who you don't expect can potentially help, like someone with some random hairspray advice, or other people who who become almost friends to the hero uh, along the journey. And and I want to switch to that so that's the best segue I could make but but can you can either of you think of people who you didn't expect to be helpers along the way Justine I'll throw to you it, it could be the people who gave you your first job we've had a couple of those names thrown out here it could be someone in a random locker room who says use hairspray on your pants uh, or it could be something else Justine was there was there one or two people you look back and you're like they're kind of my hero in a sense not in the traditional sense a lot of people say that's my hero I want to be like that person I'm going to follow their journey you guys have both said you didn't have that. And so maybe the heroes are the people who were alongside you or behind you. Uh, who would you 
identify as your heroes or helpers along the way, Justine? Well, I mean, for me, it was my daughter, right? Because you can go through anything and then you come home and you read a book, you know, and do butterfly kisses and, and everything's okay. Um, so I always had my daughter on the field. I'd have to yank her out of school. I would do, we would do it together. It was a journey together. Um, and so that was like, so rewarding, <laughs> yeah. you know, that we would always have this time. So I think that, you know, my father never asked me to play softball. I got to give him credit. You know, he never said, why are you doing this? And, and always helping me play baseball. And, you know, um, I mean, eventually Billy Bean did allow me to come coach for the A's after the four years of asking. And, and then my career was able to go from there. And uh, I was the mental performance coach with Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic. But they were like, we know you can do this role, but we also know you can coach. So come coach as well. Hmm. And that was with Jerry Weinstein just giving me a call. So for like once, you know, someone called me and said, hey, I got an opportunity for you instead of me finding a way in. That's cool. That's very cool. The, the I'm curious on the... Uh... There's the, there's the real Hollywood stories, your daughter following you around, and now it flashes to 20 years down the track. It's obviously <laughs> 20 years, but how old is your daughter now, and is she involved in baseball in any way? Uh, she's now 23, the, the year I had her, uh-huh. and um, she's been helping me uh, train actors uh, for the League of, Their Own, League of Their Own TV show. So she, cool. was, she was doing that, and again, it's, it's the best. It's the very, best very sure. cool. Little plug for the movie there as well. Oh, sorry, TV show, League of Their Own. Jen, how about you? You've mentioned a couple of people who gave you a shot, but were there helpers along the way that that probably would otherwise go unnoticed in a brief skim of of your story that's been reported so far, anyone? Oh, my gosh. So many helpers. Um, always pulling strength and inspiration from the women I played with. Um, um, I remember one of my teammates, Olivia Gridswold, at one point said, and you know, she was on a competing team, right? And we were on Team USA together, but she was on another team. And, you know, there was a lot of people who were not so happy that it was me, right? Like, you know, because they want to do it or somebody's in the limelight. And I remember OG said, Welter, I'm so glad it's you because you represent us so well, right? And it was so simple, but yet like just something I could take with me, like, okay, All right. Not everybody feels that way. Right. So it was like a little bit of fortification. If you heard somebody else pushing back, oh, why was it her? I could have done better or whatever. And then um, Anthony Stone, who was my Team USA defensive corner. Actually, I should say Anthony Stone and John Konecki. um, They were my Team USA 2010 coaches and they put together one of the best teams to ever play the game. Um, And both of them would always like check in. What did I need? You know, Coach Stone does all of my girls camps with me, Um, but they actually, those two um, and I put together the coaching staff for the Australian women's national team. And it was their idea that I should be the head coach. And they said, you know, those women need you. We've got your back. And I was like, but you guys are more experienced than I am. And, you know, and they said, yeah, but we know that you'll let us actually do our jobs and that we can work together really well, Welter, and we don't have to do the politics stuff because we're not good at that. And I was like, now that is true. Now you guys should absolutely not because they were a little bit bull, you know, even more than I am bull in a China shop. So we, we did it together kind of as a team and most people wouldn't expect that, right? That they would say you should be the head coach because of 
you know, all that you bring to the table. Um, and that was really cool. And then um, Clinton Solomon, who played with me on the revolution, um, was integral because he said, you know, from day one, he was a former Chicago bear. So this is going to be tough on you physically and mentally. And he's like, I want you to know, even if nobody doesn't, nobody else has it. Like I got your back and I need you to be ice cold. No matter what happens, don't you let any of those guys see it. Right. He's like, don't do it. But if something bothers you, you come and tell me and let me handle it because I can send the message in the way it needs to be sent. And what he really meant was like, if it was me fighting battles, I would have one after the other, after the other being an outsider. And yet if he did it as the leader of the team, which he was, um, he could say, it's not us versus her, it's us with her. Mm. And it's us versus the other teams. And, you know, I didn't know what to think when he first said that, right? Like I was kind of like, oh, you're going to be my champion, right? Like, I don't need a champion. I'm going to give that a strong maybe, right? Like, I don't know you. What does that mean? And in so many situations, he just set, like stepped up and, and wouldn't let me kind of be pushed aside or be pushed against, right? Like he was a backup quarterback and he'd say, she's my running back, right? If I have to play quarterback, which I don't want to play, she's going to get her reps here, right? Like, and I'm going to make sure that happened and just, to speak up in so many of those ways and to not just nod your head when somebody's like, Oh no girl should be out here. Um, just the way he moved really made it special. And I, I call him, you know, I called him the other day and just thanked him. Right. Like I was just thinking about him. I was like, well, I want you to know like how much I appreciate how you were and, and how much you did. And he said, don't thank me. He said, you made every single one of us, on that team, better men. He's like, you changed all of us. He's like, I still have people ask me, wasn't that the team that had a girl? And he's like, I always have to tell them, it's not a girl, the girl, hmm. because you were the one who could make that change with, uh, who could do that with us. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I've had some really cool people along the way yeah. and definitely not the ones that you would you would expect. Yeah, you mentioned you used the word champion there, and you both shared examples of of people who were either champions for you in positions or in moments of potential. You know, could go either way, but you've also shared there's almost a dichotomy because there's on one hand you want people who are around you who are going to support you and make space for you and back you up and stand in front of you occasionally to make sure that you don't cop the shit that they that you don't need cop. But on the other hand, each of you shared experiences where you were like. Yeah, and I was just on my own and I had to do it. And like the, these people weren't, I just had to keep going. And so if you were going to give advice to people out there who are listening, who are trying to be trailblazers, whether they are trying to be the first women in an area, a group, a room that is not normally accepting, could be boardroom, um, could be entertainment, wherever it might be, or whether they, it's got nothing to do with gender and maybe it's a race thing or a, or a sexuality thing or any of the other areas where minorities or people are held out because of who they are would your advice be to find a place where people are going to support you or in the place that you're at now just make it happen go ahead justine <laughs> for me i would say find the place you want to go 
don't let others dictate where you where you're going or where you want to be. Uh, but I would say find those you know who are who are your champions. There's someone in there. There's someone where you can you can either turn them or you know they're already there. Um, I just I wouldn't give anyone an excuse to get rid of me. You know, I, I think that doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's baseball or football, wherever you are, you know, I'm going to be here and you, you I'm going to stay here and you can't make me go away and I'm going to do a great job and you're going to eventually see that and we're going to be better together as a team. Very cool. Uh, I like that. I like the fact you said you, there'll be someone in there. You can turn them. It's, it's amazing how, how often you see people, you know, each, each of us, let's take away the, the gender experience that you two have had that, that I haven't been able to share, but we've all been psychologists in a room, which occasionally creates its own little dichotomy of like, Oh, that per- I don't want to talk to that person because they'll get in my head yeah. and the ability to eventually find someone who's like, Oh, actually, this is actually pretty good. Like there's always a few in the crowd. They may not speak up, but there's a few who are on your side. Jen, what about, what about you in answer to that question? Do you, persevere in an environment that doesn't want or, or accept or is tough or do you like and, and i'm saying like this boardroom versus that boardroom this stage versus that stage or do you go to another place that is more right for your growth one of the things that's that, that i think is really important is to be consistent in who you are right um those who know me know me which means if you um, if we're going to talk about a job or building a staff or, you know, consulting for a company or what it is, like those who want me on it are going to get me as I am, which means me as all of me, right? And those who don't, it's because, you know, they they maybe don't want that, right? Like, and, and that's something that's hard, but it, it's also important to know because, you know, I've had situations in terms of coaching where it was like, oh, okay, we'll stay in your lane. I'm like, well, what is my lane? Well, oh, you know, it's just linebackers. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I shouldn't help that guy right there who just had a breakdown. Right. And yet I've had other staffs who kind of like Justine said, when uh, I think it was Israel, was that right? Yeah. That, that they said, you know, you have this and have this and that's awesome. Right. Like when Brad Childress hired me for the Atlanta legends, Um, not only was I a defensive coach, but he was talking to me about how we frame the team, how we build the team. Um, and you know, we would talk about the guys that we were getting in and how to best position it so that they could be successful. Um, and he would talk to me about those things because he loved that. I had that insight as, as somebody with a psychology background, and those are two different situations, right? Um, you know, other one was like, no, like, this is all you do. Like here, take this tape and none of the other stuff matters. And so I think it's, it's really important to be clear in who you are, what you bring to the table. And, um, and when you do that, like consistently, those people who want to bring you into the equation or want to hire you are going to know the full you, right? Like, yes, you have this and we need this. And oh, by the way, it's really amazing that you have this. Bruce Arians was also really big about that. It was, he was fascinated with the fact that I had a PhD in psychology. That made more difference to him than what I had done as a, as a player because he believed you should be able to read a guy's eyes. That's a big thing for him. Um, and so, 
you know, I think really matching up who you are, what you have to offer and being able to fully bring that to the table is important. Intelligent answer from uh, what I would expect from two PhDs. Um, we're going we're gonna to start to wind it up here, but I've got a couple of questions I don't want to leave on the table and particularly with reference to the people who listen to this show. So obviously there's a, a fair cohort of military, um, but there are plenty of people in the wider public who listen as well. And so everyone's facing their challenges. For people who are facing a similar challenge, I just asked for a specific example of like, if you're facing that, would you stay or go? But just in general, for people who are, who are applying this sort of stuff in their own battles against not being accepted or trying to chase something that they're like, this is who I am and it's what I'm here to do. The world doesn't seem to want to let me do it just yet. What would your advice be? Simple takeaway that people can go and do. That's like, a, hey, I went and did this. Or, you know, Justine, you had your BP prep routine. Here's, I got myself ready. I had this thing. Jen, you mentioned being able to flip something on someone and make it make light of it. Like, what would be a simple, let's use, let's tap into your PhDs, your psychology, your study. Like, what would be one piece of advice from a psych point of view to help people steal their mind and continue on that journey? I'll ask you first. For everybody listening who's a service member, thank you for your service. Um, my dad is a legit army hero, um, a silver star and two bronze stars from Vietnam as a medic. So, so much of who I am and how I look at the world is through his eyes. Um, and he often says I'm a chip off the block because he was a, a um, terrible soldier, but a great warrior. Um, and, and I, that definitely has permeated my career. Not always a great soldier, um, but definitely um, leading through that spirit of battle, right? And doing what needed to be done, even though it wasn't pretty. Um, and some of his his um, his medals were in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to to take that with you, I always say have a theme song, <laughs> right? Like have a theme song and like be able to play it because. Your mind can only hold one thought at a time. And we've all walked into a place in a space where we were having a really bad day. And then that song came on and you can't help but like. Right? For everyone, for everyone who's it. listening, for everyone who's listening and not seeing it, Jen is doing a little boogie on the screen right now. Right. So, what, but, so whatever but, that song is, what is that song for you? Just out of curiosity. Uh, you know, I personally like to play I'm the Man by Ali Black. All right. Um, because, you know, it, it, it definitely helps, but there are many, you know, and as athletes, we do that in our pregame warmup, right? We have like our pregame listen. And I think it's really important for people to have that too. Mm. So have a song that gives you, it gets you in the right place and space for whatever you have to do. And that's definitely one of my cheat codes for life. Very cool. Very cool. Justine, how about you? Uh, practically speaking, go get overqualified. Okay. So be the hardest worker uh, also. Um, I, I would have to start by just saying I'm a very average person, all right? I got a learning disability, but I have a PhD. There's like, I'm not very tall. I'm not very strong. There's nothing really fantastic about me. But I have what scouts call intangibles, right? We all have intangibles, those things inside us, the grit, the uh, when are you going to give up, how much you love something, your passion. Um all of those things inside you is the magic that is you. And that is where your success will come from. You don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to be, you know, (laughs) amazing. Just be you and remember that you are the one who gets to decide when you quit. And if you keep going, then no one can stop you. And then just practically speaking, ask. 
If you want something, ask for it. Don't ask once, keep asking. <laughs> Find your way over, over the brick wall. Even if you have to go around, if you've got to break it, you got to climb on top. You know, if you want it, go for it and use those intangibles to get there. I, I can't, so I had to say this later in the show, just in case other previous guests are listening, but this is close to my favorite episode of all time. I'm feeling inspired listening to both of them. I'm competitive. I want to be the best episode of all time. Like, have you not realized the competitive people you have on this call right now? There's one more question. So Okay. Second. I mean, I just had to throw that out there. Like, I don't want to be close to the top. We want to be the best one. We've got a two-minute drill we're going to run here now, Jana. This is when the game gets decided. So here it is. Given, like, you could take this either way. It's like, it's, it's either the Meghan Markle quote of when women are uplifted, the entire community is, or it's the picture of Amanda Gorman dressed in her yellow jacket and the red hairpiece and the red mask and looking amazing on stage. And then a three-year-old girl dressed just like hers, like someone to look up to. What is it that you hope for beyond today and beyond your own journey that this work, both your PhD, but also your trailblazing in each of your fields, what is it that you hope for the future? For me, um, you know, it's an honor to make history, but it's so much more important to build a better future. And so I've started a nonprofit um, called Baseball for All to grow opportunities for girls in the game, whether that's playing, coaching, or leading. Um, also trailblazing that path for more women to be coaches. And as you've seen now, the women are getting hired all over the place. So that's it, to be a better world where one day, you and I are not talking about <laughs> trailblazing. It's just the norm. Right. I, I know that in cricket uh, back in Australia right now, there is a little, uh, a little hullabaloo furor. It'll, it'll fade away, unfortunately. Um, but one of the female cricketers who I think they just won the women's world cup. She said, it'd be, oh, no, sorry. The women's big bash league is what they call it. As opposed to what they call the men's big bash league, which is just, the big bash league and she was like it'll be great if one day you can just call this the big bash league and we don't have to put women's on the front of it um i think that was what you're referring to there justine jen how about for sure. hope for the future that you know I, I think i think we're in it right now the doors continue to open that hearts and minds you know see what good it can be when you have more diversity, right? That it is actually a strategic strategic advantage, that it's not an initiative, right? Or that it's that it's this outside of the box thing, right? I know, you know, I have my first gridiron girl who came through my camp, or actually I have several, but I have gridiron girls now that are in the very first um NAIA girls collegiate varsity flag football season, right? Like that didn't even exist before. So for the first time in football, girls can change the trajectory of their life through the game, through the education. And those girls are playing, you know, younger than I ever did and having opportunities that I never even imagined. And, you know, one of the girls, Jada, who's a quarterback at St. Thomas, when asked, she said, you know, she wasn't asked who her football hero was. She was asked who 
what woman made her feel that way. And, you know, she said me because it made her believe bigger. Right. And I think that's what a first is good for. It, it puts that, that permission or that seed of a dream in earlier. So like Justine said, you can outwork people. You can go to the clinics, you can get the tools, you can really become a student of the game so that, you know, you're not saying girls versus boys, you're saying best on best. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I was struck as you described, particularly as you mentioned there at the end, Jen, the impact that it has about it being a strategic advantage as opposed to just like an initiative, it's an advantage. And I know that one of my um, colleagues in the NBA who was to, we were talking about the Rooney rule in the NFL, which is a rule designed in apparently to increase minority hires for coaches, which is a, a nice way of saying they want less white people as, as just purely a white coaching staff. And it hasn't really worked because in my colleague's opinion, who is also African-American, he looks at it as it's because people are doing it because it looks good or in some, in rare cases, because it feels good, not just because it is good and it's the right thing to do. And uh, after listening to both of you speak, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be as inspired as I am. Congrats, Jen, you win. Um, the, <laughs> the fist pump on screen again, for those who can't see it. Um, but it is a, a fantastic journey that you both shared and, and are still on. And the, the difference that you're making, not only in your sport, but in the world is one to be celebrated. So thank you very much. We appreciate your time. For those who do want to follow up and potentially follow you, Justine, you mentioned your not-for-profit. So I'll just reiterate that. That's Baseball for All. And if people want to find it, I assume they just Google Baseball for All and they'll find it. They can okay. go to baseballforall.com. Or they'll find you on Twitter. Jen, you're... you're Similar, you run coaching clinics for kids and you also have a couple of books. Can you share a little more detail about those? Yes, yeah, so Play Big, Lessons in Being Limitless from the First Woman to Coach in the NFL. You can get that on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, et cetera, et cetera. It's a good read, journey, and very practical advice that hopefully you can take into your own life. And then during COVID, um, I created and co-created and authored a series called Critter Fitter, which uses critters to get kids bitter through motion and emotion nice. um and there are four books in that series so far and you can also get them on amazon cool and the and the uh camps is is gridiron girls right gridiron yeah. girls yes because you know i coached in australia and that's what football is over there i love it that's my, la my last question this is actually what what will win you or lose you the event are australian girls tougher than american girls different toughness oh good good answer well, different we'll, toughness very good well you've tackled not only the obstacles in your way, but life, both of you have. Uh, Justine, I couldn't use a baseball analogy there. I think tackling is a, is a much more apt thing for what you've both done on your journeys. Thanks so much for blazing the trail, for continuing to do it, and for joining the show today. Uh, Jen Welter and Justine Siegel, thanks guys. Thanks for having us. Thank Bye y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So what is it got to be so damn yeah. uh, Excellent, bustle with the best of them. Simply impressive, no worrying or stressing. Uh, I'm getting my right now, put your shades on